Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night and each one that is here. Lord, we just ask now that you would guide our time as we study your word. And Lord, that you would teach us to apply it to how we live each and every day. We ask for your blessings that we may serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. And um, we are continuing in our study of hard words, hard passages in the Scripture. And, of course, the book of Hebrews, uh, when people talk about difficulty in understanding portions of the Bible, boy... Uh, the Hebrews is just full of different passages here that that uh, people have a lot of problems with. And our, our text is basically verse 11 of chapter 5. It says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye... Have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, we're going to move and cover a lot of, uh, of Scripture by way of summary tonight through the book of Hebrews. But as the writer is trying to help us understand some things, in verse 11, he says, Of whom... We have many things to say and hard to be uttered. Now, as we've gone through this passage, uh, these passages, uh, last week we spent some time with the Apostle Paul there on the Damascus Road as Jesus made the statement, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks and tried to go through some of the things that Paul was kicking at. There's going to be... um, uh, a great deal of overlap because the Bible, most people say, oh, it's such a terribly difficult book. In fact, uh, there have been many excuses and, and lines of reasoning offered through the centuries. Uh, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church before it said, listen, only our Priests can understand the Word of God, you know, and they actually made it against the law to read the Bible in medieval England. Up until the early 1500s, if you had your own copy of God's Word in the English language, it carried a death sentence. Uh, That's how serious this Catholic Church was about keeping people from reading the Word of God, because as you read the Word of God, according to the Catholic faith, you would automatically become a heretic because what the priest was teaching in the church wasn't written down in the Bible. 
and your faith stopped being in the Pope and in the priest and began to be in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now, let me ask you, how simple a faith is? does the Bible teach? It teaches a faith so simple that even a young child can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And yet, I have a very small library compared to many. Uh, uh, I've never even taken time to count it, but hundreds of books, several hundred books, and then I have several hundred more online and and in digital form on my computer, and and, uh, uh, that's a a wonderful thing. And somebody said, have you read all those books? Of course not. Uh, They're just supposed to make you look smart, right? No, Uh, they're mostly reference material. You you don't read encyclopedias. You, You look there and you get the... The part that applies, but as we come up, the, the, what I'm saying is that people have said that we cannot understand the Bible. The, the, the newest twist on this thing is that only certain parts of the New Testament apply to Christians. And, of course, the book of Hebrews is off-limits for the New Testament Christian because it's addressed to the Hebrews. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3? If you know it, quote it with me. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, for reproof, for, what's the next one? Correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, if you couldn't say that whole verse with me, you know what your homework is, right? Um, we, we need to understand that God did not reserve certain portions of the Bible for certain people, but all Scripture is given to teach us and help us understand. Uh, we, we believe in divisions. The Bible tells us to study and rightly divide the Word of Truth. And uh, I, I have a book on my shelf, and... and uh, and it divides the Bible up into such small categories and cuts the Bible all to ribbons and says you can only use certain parts. That's not what the Bible is teaching. Now, there are certain promises made to Israel. Guess what? They don't apply to us as the church. There is a difference between Israel and the church. Uh, there is... Promises made to the physical seed of Abraham. There are promises made to the adopted seed of Abraham through faith. That's us. And there are promises that are made to the church. And yet, if we understand our Bible correctly, guess who's going to be in the New Jerusalem? Church. Old Testament saints. Tribulation saints. 
You see, it was the high priest Caiaphas that said he would gather together in one all the children of God. And so we we are reminded tonight that our Bible is one book. It is the story of one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it gives us an understanding of what faith in Him should do for our lives. Remember the golden rule of understanding the Bible. If it makes common sense, seek no other sense. And what's the next one? If it has no direct bearing on how I should live for Christ today... We'll let the scholars worry about it. And we'll go on to the doctrines in the Bible that determine how I live for Jesus on a daily basis. If you can't live it, don't study it. Uh, People have come up with all kinds of crazy things. You know, they're still trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. You know what? I'm not worried about that. Because I'm going to be with Jesus when he shows up. Amen? Uh, People are still trying to argue the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. And they've written books and books and books and books about it. How about believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then live for him through the local church. Amen? I mean, that's, that's what the Bible teaches. And here we have the writer of Hebrews. Most believe it's the Apostle Paul. But you know what? Nobody knows for sure. But we do know that God gave us this book. And I, I love the book of Hebrews. I, uh, I like to call it God's switchboard. Because every connection that you need to make in the Scripture is made in the book of Hebrews. And that is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here in chapter 5. He says there are many hard things. He said there are things hard to be uttered. Why? Because the Jewish people, many of which had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, had yet to grasp and really understand that Jesus was not doing away with the law, but he had fulfilled the law. Now, if something is fulfilled, then it's finished. It's done. There, there, there are reasons why we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday. If you get any old literature from the turn of the last century... Almost every preacher that writes talks about the Sabbath, and he's talking about Sunday. That is a terrible mistake. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot justify that kind of reasoning anywhere in the Scripture. The Sabbath is always the Sabbath. And he says, well, what, what does the Bible mean when you're supposed to keep the Sabbath? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to start picking up right there. In chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews, the theme is rest. 
There is a rest for the people of God. The Sabbath is not the day of worship. Can I ask you what the day of worship is in the Bible? How about today? Amen? Hello? Am I in the right place? Are we not to worship Jesus Christ every day? Is not our life supposed to be a worship relationship? You cannot have biblical worship and not have biblical obedience. And that's supposed to occur each and every day. Easy to be said, hard to live. And you see, when I rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, I'm no longer working for my salvation. How many of you remember attending a church where you were working for your salvation before you got saved? And you were trying to earn it, and you were trying to do enough good things, and you never were sure if you'd done enough good or not. And you said, well, i got to trust somebody, and... And, and and uh he tells me if I'll do so many of these and so many of that, I'll I'll do that. Or if you go to uh other religions and of course they argue about their to do list, but there's only one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And if I will rest in him, look at verse fifteen. It says, for we, of chapter 4, the book of Hebrews, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That That is the duty of the Christian. That's where we go. The overall context of chapter 5 picks up there with this theme in in verses 15 and 16. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For every priest, high priest, I'm sorry, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And so what we have in these first few verses is a description of the priesthood. And understanding that a priest stands between God and man. A high priest is the ultimate connection. That's why Paul said that Jesus is the mediator. There is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And this is a hard saying. Because we're so conditioned. That there are special people that stand between you and God. No, there's only one special person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you have a daily responsibility as a priest 
to talk to God. This is one of the cardinal differences that make Baptists different from any other religion. We call it the priesthood of the believer. You see, the, the, uh, the Protestant churches don't believe that. The Protestant churches, they, they make you go to the preacher. He's somebody special. I'll tell you what, I'm glad I don't have to be somebody special. I'm glad that you don't have to confess your sins to me. I, I am so glad to tell you today that you have a direct responsibility and relationship with God that you have to maintain. Now, I know the air conditioning's on, but I'm not seeing any mouths moving. You see, we ought to be saying amen to that now, shouldn't we? Because we have been set free from responsibility and bondage of other men and can approach Christ directly. How many of you have been misunderstood by another human being? Oh, man. Every one of us. You see, only Jesus really understands. Only He knows what's going on in my heart and in your heart. And only He has the power to hear all of our prayers at the same time and answer them without any help whatsoever. We do not need anyone to go to God. Jesus is that priest that stands between us and God. Uh, People often get confused. They read through the Old Testament. Now, I hope and pray that you're still working on your daily Bible reading schedule. If you're not, we got a place called an altar right up here, and you can ask God to forgive you and get busy. Amen? Don't try to catch up. Just get started on today. And... The reason why we want you to read the Bible, all of the Bible, is because every part of it teaches us about Jesus Christ. All of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they show us Jesus. And they show us how complete and how exacting His work is in obtaining forgiveness for us and that His priesthood is not following in the line of Aaron and the what is called in the Bible the Levitical priesthood or the, the priesthood after the sons of Aaron, the tribe of Levi. Jesus was ordained a special priest. Look at this in verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, verse 6 ought to be somewhat familiar. If you're keeping up with your Bible reading schedule, you read it last month. Uh, Psalm 110. And 
what we need to make an application of tonight is simply this. God ordained Jesus the high priest between God and man. This was always God's plan. He has not changed His plan. When God said, let there be light, God understood that there would be a cross and there would be an empty tomb on the third day. But you know what? God didn't explain that to Adam and Eve, did He? He didn't tell Noah all of those things when Noah built the ark, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. You enter into the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, just as Noah built an ark by faith and was saved from water. And we are saved from God's wrath by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Noah had to do when he got into the ark? Feed the animals. Wait. You know what? Noah didn't go outside until God told him to, now did he? They were in there for over a year. Now, how many of you are glad you didn't live in Noah's day? But that's what Noah had to do by faith. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. But let's look here. And we, we come to verse 7 who in the days of his flesh when he offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'll tell you, if you really want some wild stuff, just look up Melchizedek. I mean, the commentators, oh, they just go crazy. Now, who was Melchizedek? He was the priest of Salem. The prince, he was the priest of of the city of peace of Jerusalem in the days of Abraham. <coughs> he was a real man that lived on the earth. And we'll get back to him in chapter 7 here in a few minutes. But that's all we need to know. If we needed to know more about Melchizedek, God would tell us. And so what do we do? We take what we cannot know and let God carry that. And understand that God never intended to save anyone by the works of the law. God never intended for any person to find faith by what they could do. Salvation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not what you can do for God. It is what God can do for you. Now, you know what God has done for you. Let me word that correctly. The point that we're trying to make here is he is the author of eternal salvation. And then 
the writer here goes into this and says, you know what? I am writing to you that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you ought to be going around teaching this. But the problem is you're not listening and you got to go back. And he was reprimanding them for not taking their faith in God and moving forward. You see, the soul of all false religion is this. It is an offer that someday you may be good enough to earn eternal life. That is the seed of all false religion. If you want to start and go back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, if you want to go back to Cain and Abel, all false religion is a hope that God will accept you by things you can do. That's why God told Cain, sin lieth at the door. First time I read that, I thought, wow, yeah, boy, that is so true. You just walk out the door and sin is waiting to jump on you. That's not what it's talking about. The word sin there is used as the sacrifice. He said, if you sin, Cain, one of Abel's lambs is right there. You can get one. And you can offer it the way I told you to offer a sacrifice. And God will forgive sins based on obedience to His Word. You see, it's one book. It's one faith. But that's hard words, isn't it? Because people like to cut up the Bible in little tiny pieces. We call them hyper dispensationalist. I'm not afraid of dispensationalism. In fact, uh, theologically, I would classify as a dispensationalist. But I don't believe that God saved different pe- saved people different ways in different dispensations. That's not Bible. God only saved people one way, by grace through faith. But faith is connected to God's Word. Read. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. It is one way of salvation for all people forever. But Noah built an ark. Why? Because that's what God said to do. And if Noah hadn't built an ark, that's the last we would have heard of Noah. Because everybody that wasn't on the ark died. But Noah found grace. Does that sound like grace? And faith, Noah built the ark. Abel offered a better sacrifice. How? By faith. The fact that God would accept the sacrifice, that's grace. Are we together still? And we, we see that all of a sudden, all these complicated things, because the reason why we're setting this up is Hebrews chapter 6 is one of those chapters that every person that believes you can lose your salvation, this is where they go. And uh, all, all of the people who believe that you can somehow separate yourself from the love of Christ and lose your salvation, 
They all go here because they believe that this passage teaches that, when it teaches exactly the opposite. If you want to understand Hebrews chapter 6, you have to understand Hebrews chapter 5. We have a high priest. He is the author of eternal salvation. Verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. You see, false religion comes in here, and even at times false religion uses the words Jesus, and they use the cross of Christ. But they put you in one of those uh, endless loops. How many remember the old... uh, answering machines, and it had a loop tape on it that would play over and over again. I'm sorry, I cannot answer your phone call at this time. Please leave a message at the beep, and then it would beep, and it would leave a message on another tape, and sometimes things would get messed up, and it just play that thing over and over again, and nobody would leave any messages, and it was just a real mess. Well, And I know some of you are looking at me like, they actually had things like that? Yes, they did. Just be thankful you live in a modern age where where those things aren't available anymore. 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 No, sorry. (laughs) Just had to do that. It wasn't in my notes, all right? But false religion is this. It's spending your whole life trying to get saved. The author of Hebrews says, wait a minute. If you're saved, we need to move on. We need to do something with that salvation. And you understand that Hebrews chapter 6 is addressing the fact that we're not in an endless loop of trying to earn salvation and we can't know until we get there that we have an eternal salvation. That's what the verses at the end of the chapter are talking about here. Verse 17, (laughs) excuse me, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie... We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus said this in Matthew 28. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's a promise that Jesus made. When he saved us, he's never going to let us go. That's what the middle of chapter 6 is talking about saying, if they shall fall away, it's going to be impossible to renew them again unto repentance because Jesus only died on the cross one time. He's never going to die again. 
And those people that continually want to re-crucify Jesus, they do that to themselves. And they put themselves on that endless loop and just run in circles. And that can never lead to faith in Christ. And we need to be convinced and understand. And that is a hard saying. Most of us know family members. I remember an aunt one time, a great aunt actually, she said, listen, I, I met a Baptist preacher down here where she lived and she said, and he keeps talking to me about this saved thing. She said, yeah, that's good. He said, no, it's not. And she was so mad. And she, If my works aren't good enough, then tough. And I was going, wow, dear aunt, I don't even remember her first name anymore. That was many years ago. My wife will probably remember the story. She said, it's going to be tough, but it's not going to be tough on God. It's going to be tough on you. Because Jesus is the high priest. He's the one that's done the works. And we rest in him. And we take that salvation that he has given us and use it as a platform for our service to God. Not as a little hamster wheel trying to get something that Jesus has already promised us. Now we look at chapter 7, and we're going to try in the next 15 minutes to get through the next three or four chapters. Actually, we're going to try to go through the end of the book very quickly here. But in chapter 7, we, we again hear about this Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first by inter- being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And let's look at verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. There's no contradiction here. Melchizedek had the power to give blessing. He was made like unto the Son of God. We have no uh, uh, people ask the question, was Melchizedek a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? That would seem to make the most sense of the passage. But you know what? The Bible doesn't give us a definitive answer. And so what do we do? We don't make a definitive answer when the Bible doesn't tell us something. Amen? We don't go running off into the realm of sanctified imagination trying to build things that make sense to us. That's where you get into trouble. You see, Melchizedek was a type of Christ. He was a living, physical representation, picture, image. He was showing us that the 
that the priesthood of Levi is not the only priesthood that God has ordained. That the priesthood of the law was never ordained to save mankind. Read Galatians chapter 4. The law is our teacher to bring us to Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the Bible and why it divided up into different times or dispensations, it is God proving beyond any shadow of a doubt and any circumstance that you could imagine. How good was it in the Garden of Eden? Was there any sin in the Garden of Eden? Not until Adam and Eve sinned. And yet, they failed, didn't they? How bad did things get when God came down and told Noah to build an ark? Pretty bad. You see, mankind has failed in every circumstance. But when you get to the law, God gave 613 commandments by which each and every one of them you can know. I can't save myself. You want to be convinced? That's about as convinced as a person can get. Amen? But God never designed the law to save. He designed the law to teach us that we need Jesus. We need that other priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And we come down here to, let's look at verses 11, uh, verse 11 of chapter 7. Sorry. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? And, and I want to take an aside here before we put this thing in the high gear and finish the message tonight. We are wading through things in the Bible that most theologians can't explain. When you read the systematic theologies, when they get here, they get all messed up. When, when you go to your seminaries, I call them cemeteries because that's what they are. Most of the time, they don't build faith, they kill it. Because they make a God that can be explained by human reasoning. That God doesn't exist in the Bible, my friend. Look, look with me here to verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, and then for the peoples, for this he did once when he offered up himself. That is a hard saying, my friend. People stumble at this, but all you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he did the work that is necessary to save you. And he will save anyone who will believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad about that? 
Sometimes we feel so unworthy. Sometimes we feel like we have messed up so badly that God can't save us. No! He can save them to the uttermost. Aren't you glad that's in there? God does not need your good works to save you. He needs you to stop believing in yourself and start believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to chapter 8, and it talks about the superiority of the covenant. The fact that the law is not the bringer of grace. That Jesus is the bringer of grace. The presence of God, the grace of God that bringeth salvation, hath appeared unto all men. That's chapter 8. Chapter 9 is the superiority of the work of Christ compared to the work that was done in the Old Testament tabernacle. And I wish we had time. We've done this on several occasions. We've gone through every step of the tabernacle down to the clothing that the priest wore, every uh, uh, ritual that was carried out, all pointed to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? Chapter 10. Now, chapter 10 is where the transition is made. Let's look in chapter 10, verse 10, says, By the which will, God's will, that Jesus fulfilled, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Can we say amen to that? Sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. For by one offering he hath perfected for them, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now we get over to verse 25, and we love verse 25 around here. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. If you can't find a local church in that verse... Your, your Bible understanders done busted. Amen? I mean, this, this is where the transition is made. It's just talking about living for God through His church. Chapter 12, there's only one race to be won, run. That's looking unto Jesus. But if you don't get chapter 10 in context, it's through the local church. You're going to be running the wrong race, my friend. Chapter 11 shows us that faith is in response to God's revelation, which has been different at different times. But you have no reason to go out and build an ark in your backyard. It's not going to help. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 13 is how we serve Him in the local church. One faith throughout all ages. One race that is to be run. One service that is to be served. 
And you know what? We've just taken the hardest book in the Bible and summarized it in one service. Because I'm such a great preacher. I wish. No. It's because the hardest things in this book called the Bible are simple if we'll just keep it in the context that God intended it to be kept in. Can we say amen to that? It's a faith that can be understood. And much more important than understanding, it's a faith that can be lived each and every day. Read Hebrews chapter 13. It talks about a responsibility that pastors have toward the members of their church and the responsibility that the members have toward the pastor. That, that we're to work together so that when God calls me to give an account for those who are members of this church, I'll have something nice to say. That's the way it ought to be, amen? But that can't happen unless you help me out. That's a daily choice that each one of us have to make. And the book of Hebrews, yeah, these things are hard to be uttered. You know why? As one old-time preacher said, he said, the Bible sure does mess up an awful lot of theology. Well, yeah, if man has it all figured out, you can be guaranteed that God's going to do it a different way. That he's already gotten something a little better than what man can think of. I like to ask this question. If God were so small, you could understand everything about him. How big would God be? Not as big as you are. I'm glad my God's bigger than I am. How about you? And he's given me a whole book that tells me how much he loves me. And how simple it is. To follow him. And all God's people say. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we'd ask you to help us. Deal with these things that are hard to be uttered. Not because they're difficult in and of themselves. They're actually quite simple. But they go so much against everything that man teaches Lord, help us to be faithful to you and to your word, to keep it simple, to keep it Bible, and to walk with you. That's the real challenge. It's the one we face each and every day. We ask for your grace to live for you by faith till you come to claim us, Lord. We'll take just a moment you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're here tonight and you're not sure about your own salvation, we'd invite you to just step out. We won't chase you down, but we sure would like to take this book called the Bible and let you know, not based upon some Baptist thing, but based upon God's very words, you can know your sins are forgiven. Jesus is your Savior. And that your home in heaven is secured. 